Sound good? Okay. Whew, that's all I got to say about that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's turn um, to Isaiah chapter 7. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, our audio team and visual team should be displaying some of the verses. We started a series last week, and Ken Furlow kicked us off on just laying some foundations for the Christmas story. Uh, the title of this series is The Newborn King. Uh, you know, might know the, the, the Christmas hymn, Glory to the Newborn King. Now, the concept of king uh, escapes many of us because we live in a democracy. Uh, we're here in the United States of America. And most of, most of, of the nations uh, that um, are represented in, in, in the first world, at least, are elected officials where we all get a vote we all get get a say and so this concept of king could seem ancient or could seem very culturally different to where we are in in our understanding of leadership but what i what i want us to wrap our minds around even from the onset of of um really the importance which ken laid the foundations for last week of why it was necessary for jesus to come Right. Why it was necessary for Christ to come. Then we get into this understanding of how the declarations of Jesus coming came to be from the Old Testament. And I'm going to read some of these verses that were prophecies from the Old Testament that bring us into the New Testament of the coming King Jesus. Isaiah 714 reads like this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Who's going to give us a sign? Say the Lord. The Lord. Behold, a virgin will be with child. And bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So we, we sing that song now, God with us, which is kind of a, a version of Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is, is uh, the Hebrew word for God with us. It was, it was a name that Jesus was given as a representation of God's presence amongst men. God sending his son, as, as Ken referenced John 3.16 last week, God sent his only begotten son, Emmanuel, to be a physical representation in the flesh of God amongst us, right? And, and it, it's, it's getting to that point of why it was necessary for Christ to come, for the Son of God to come in a physical form. We're going to get into that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 reads like this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Again, another prophecy of the Son of God who would come, who would be delivered, and who would be amongst us. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 reads like this, But as for you, Bethlehem, if you know, Bethlehem is the city that Christ was born. Um, Epitaph, too little to be amongst the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the, from the days of eternity. And so this is a prophecy of Christ coming and to be born in Bethlehem, the least of cities, a humble place. And from this place, he is going to rise and to be a ruler over Israel. And him coming and going is going to be from then until eternity. 
So now it's beginning to give us a, a picture of not just this physical earthly rain, but this rain for eternity. This understanding of the kingdom of God that we are actually still living in today that was established from the beginning is an eternal kingdom. And somehow for us as people, and even as we read the Old and New Testament, so many were looking, looking for an earthly established kingdom. But how many of you know that God cannot be contained within the confines of time, space, and matter? How many of you know that? How many of you know that God is bigger? Look at your neighbor and say, God is bigger. He's bigger than any nation. He's bigger than any, any globe. He is eternal. He is huge. And, and the concepts of, uh, of Genesis 1, in the beginning, and John 1, right, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? This is these concepts of understanding that Jesus had always been, yet was coming, and then would be amongst us, and then would ascend, and then would return. And this is beautiful picture of what the Bible is about. Um, Tyron Daniel, a friend of mine who leads NCMI, he, he sums up the scriptures, and, and it's a very brief description, is the Old Testament says that Jesus is coming. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was here, and then from Acts into Revelation is Jesus is coming back. So the whole of Scripture is based on King Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So now we're in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, verse 18, coming to the New Testament. We have, I have some prophetic, uh, three of the prophetic um, utterances about Christ. And now we're in the New Testament, the birth of Christ. Matthew 1, 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So before they had physical relations, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, someone say behold. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Miraculous conception. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name. Can everyone say his name? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill. Now listen to me, friends. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So all of the prophetic words that had been spoken about Jesus coming were now going to be fulfilled through this miraculous birth of Jesus Christ coming through the Virgin Mary. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear his son, and they shall call his name. What's his name? Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I mean, this is the most significant thing outside of the resurrection of Christ that has ever taken place on the earth. It's Christ coming, the son of the living God being birthed through a, a holy anointed vessel, Mary, 
chosen by God for her purity, for her humility. Just like every other person who is chosen by God, chosen by God to give birth to the Christ, to the Messiah. What a miraculous thing. I, wanna, I want us to ch- check out another account in Luke. If you have your Bibles, turn forward to Luke, Luke chapter 1. We'll start with verse 26. And it reads like this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. Say favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. Now, I want you guys to pay close attention to the next two verses. He will be great. Say great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. His what? His kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Can you say amen to that? Some points from 32 and 33. Number one is he is he will be great. We have to believe we have to know that the son of God is great. How many of you believe Jesus is great this morning? He will be great Two, he the son of the, he will be the son of the most high God. Three, the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And this is now going into the lineage of the kings of Israel. This is going back to the lineage of when the, 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 the second king of Israel was or, uh, ordained as a king and his house would be established. And God's prophetic words to David is that your house will never end. Ain't that amazing? And that his descendants will sit on the throne of Israel for all eternity. This was God's promise to David should David and his descendants keep his commandments. Right? Fourth thing we see is he will reign over the house of Jacob, the 12 tribes. This was the established nation of Israel at the time. And then lastly, his kingdom will have no end. Can you say no end? No end. end. This is the rule and the reign in which God was establishing for his son. For who? For his son. For when? For all eternity. For all eternity. Glory to the newborn king. Listen to this. First Samuel chapter eight. We see the first king given to Israel. And if you know anything about this story, the nation of Israel had always been a theocracy. Can you say theocracy? Now, theocracy means a people who were led by God, where we have a democracy, where we vote and we elect our officials. The nation of Israel up to up to the time of Saul was a theocracy where there were people who were led by God and they had leaders amongst them that God had appointed to lead them. But ultimately, it was God who was presiding over them as a nation. 
Now, at this time, the nation of Israel had come out of, um, come out of Egypt. They had crossed over into the promised land. They had established a nation. They had uh, continued to be coming in and out of relationship with God. Right in and out of relationship with God. And God was, was sending them prophets and God was sending them judges, people who would lead them back to the ways of God. And the nation of Israel kept slipping, slipping in and slipping out of this relationship that God had always intended to have with them. And so now they're at a place where the nation of Israel, listen to this, was getting tired of being led by God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, it reads like this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. And Samuel was a prophet. He was a judge who was leading the children of Israel at the time. Came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Meaning, Samuel, we recognize that you're getting to the end of your ministry. You're getting to the end of your time leading us. And your successors, who are your sons, they don't walk in your ways. Right? Somehow, these young men don't hold the standards that you have for God. So, now appoint us a king for us to judge us, listen to this, like all of the nations. So now they're at a place where they're saying, listen, Samuel, you've done your job. You clearly don't have anyone next in line. So we want you to appoint us a king, just like all the other nations of the world. Can you imagine what that felt like, not only for this prophet, but for God most high to hear from his people? God leading his people as their God, as their Lord, as their reigning king in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm, in every realm you can think of. God was reigning over the children of Israel and they were saying, no, we want a king, a physical king, a a physical representation of a man who will lead us just like all of the other nations. Isn't that amazing how, as a people of God, we can very easily slip in and out of wanting what everyone else in this world has? Just think about that. Even, Even in times like right now, when we're thinking about the Christmas season, and we're thinking and we're looking and we're comparing, right? And, we're, and you go into the stores and you see these people loading up their, their baskets. And, and we just start comparing and thinking like, man, I, I want what they have. I wish I was able to live like they're living. I wish I was able to, to, and this is this thing of covetousness, right? Where we covet what other people have. And this is what the nation of Israel was doing. They were actually coveting other nations, They were looking at other nations and saying, wow, look at what they have. They have kingdoms and walls and buildings and they have established kings and lords and all these ranks of officials. And and we want that. We want to be like them. And to be God. God, the father who sits on a heavenly throne to hear his people say, God, we don't want what you've been given us. We want what everyone else around us has. Just consider that, church. Verse 6 says, But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And listen to verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, 
but they have rejected me. Listen to this. They have rejected me from being king over them. You see, there has always been a king seated on the throne of the people of God. In the Old Testament, the representation of that king is Yahweh, God. The God that that, that we serve, Father God, the creator, our heavenly father. He is always sat on the throne of the kingdom. And in the Old Testament, the representation of, of that is he would choose earthly leaders to be a prophetic voice for him. He would choose earthly leaders who would always corral his people, shepherd his people, and bring them back into a congregation that were focused on their king who was seated on the throne. But just like a rebellious and distracted people, they always continue to veer off and veer off and see other nations and see other things and be distracted by other what other people are doing and saying, Lord, we want that. And God was telling Samuel, who was his prophetic voice at the time, whose heart was broken from hearing the people saying, we don't want God. We 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 want a king like all of the other nations. And God says, Samuel, don't take this personal. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They're rejecting me from being their king. From the scripture, we see this. Give us a king. Give us a king like other nations. And then give us a king who will judge us. This was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, the prophet. God tells him they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. Saul was then Saul was anointed the first king of Israel. Saul was eventually removed as that king because of the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord. And then David, you guys have heard the stories of David and David and Goliath, the the shepherd boy who who rose through the ranks of Israel to become the second anointed king of Israel and whose kingdom and lineage would lead up to Christ. Isn't this amazing? David and his descendants ruled over Israel until 586 B.C. The last king of Judah was Zedekiah. And this was uh, up, up to approximately 586 B.C. And we know that, that Israel was eventually split into two nations. And, and the last of those nations would be Judah. And Judah um, would eventually be overran and ruled by an oppressing nation, which would be Babylon. And the, the, the king, the, the foreign king, the pagan king of Nebuchadnezzar would be the first one to uh, uh, rule over Israel and yet allow Israel to operate as its own nation within a nation. So now they're an oppressed nation serving a foreign king and foreign gods. Ain't this crazy? That, that term comes to mind. You, you, you get what you ask for? Give us a king like the other nations. What a prophetic statement. Because God tried to, in some way, say, okay, I'm going to give you a king, but it's going to be a king after my own heart. This was King David. David was a man after Christ, God's own heart. But throughout the lineage of David, as his, his ancestors, I'm sorry, not his ancestors, as his um, descendants, there you go, thank you, uh, begin to veer off from who, who he was, a man after God's own heart, we see that lineage begin to get watered down as far as their commitment to Yahweh was concerned. Eventually, 
the children of Israel would be oppressed nation. They would be ruled by empires, the empires of Babylon, the Persians, the Greeks, and then eventually the Romans. So that God, but how many of you know, can you say faith? Because of God to take place here and now, we have to hold on. Look at your neighbor and say, hold on. Right, because when God speaks something, he actually will bring it to fulfillment because this is the type of God he is. He is faithful. He's not like a man that he should lie. He is faithful. God had promised Israel, and God has made promises to this world, meaning to the people that are on this planet. When God speaks it, he seals it in eternity. Right. And the prophecies of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, Messiah being the Hebrew word, the Christ being the Greek word, the anointed one. They would come in a way that the world would not expect. Isn't that just like God? Has God ever revealed himself to you in a way that you wouldn't expect? I mean, most of us are thinking God's going to come with thunder and lightning. Right. When, when, I, I know when you when sometimes when people come to church for the first time, they feel like God's going to strike them with a lightning bolt or, or the or the church building is going to collapse if they walk in. And then they come into the place of God. And they experience. His grace and his love, his tenderness. Isn't that beautiful? And I want us to think about this. I want us to think about this, where where now the children of Israel had been oppressed by nation after nation, by empire after empire. And the hope of the Jewish people is that the Messiah, the anointed one, would come with heaven's armies. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Lord of the Rings, when, when Gandalf comes with that big glowing stick and he comes on top of the hill and he's got the cavalry with him. I mean, he's got thousands of horses and he shines this light and the, and the light goes whoosh. It just sweeps down the valley and it just begins to knock out every demonic force and then they come riding in and charging in and they save the day. This is the picture that Israel was hoping for, that, that the Messiah, the Christ, would come with, with a white stallion from heaven and come and conquer the earth and es- establish the nation of Israel as a physical kingdom. But that's not how Jesus came. Because sometimes Jesus comes in a still, small voice. Sometimes Jesus comes. Luke 2, 12. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. This is how the king of heaven's armies was revealed to the earth. And you know what's amazing is this is how the king of the world, the king of, uh, that is seated on the throne, has revealed himself to us. Not only 2,000 plus years ago, but this is how he reveals his heart to us, tender and pure and loving. And we're waiting to be condemned and conquered, and, and, and God is wanting to wash you with his grace And with his love. Oh, he's so good, huh? 
I wanted to read this prophetic utterance about the coming, uh, uh, about the nation that would be established by the coming Messiah. If I have it right, it's Zechariah chapter 2. You have to flip all the way back to the Old Testament. I'm going to read from verse 1 through 13, or 1 through 12, sorry. And it reads like this. Then I lifted up my eyes and I looked. And behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. It wasn't Eric. It wasn't, and he has, Eric always has a measuring tape on his hip. <laughs> and so I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem. To see how wide it is and how long it is. And so here's this prophetic prophetic image that's happening, right? I saw a man and he's carrying a measuring line and he's going to, to measure the walls of Jerusalem, right? The, the actual city that, would, that, 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 that carried the borders of the nation of Israel. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out and another angel was coming out to meet him and, and said to him, run, speak to that young man saying, and listen to this, friends, Jerusalem, the kingdom of God will be inhabited without walls because of the multitudes of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst." That the nation of Israel will not be established by walls. You're not going to be able to measure it. You're not going to be able to walk around it. You're not going to be able to, to, to tangibly grasp it because God is saying, I am going to be that fire around them. I am going to determine her borders. I am going to be the glory in her midst. It's not even going to be the temple, which were for centuries and millennium was, 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 the, was the heart and soul of this nation, the temple of God, because it represented the presence of God. And God was saying, not even the temple is going to be the glory of Jerusalem anymore. I am going to be the glory of Jerusalem. I am going to be the glory of the kingdom. Verse 6 says, ho there. This is where we get ho, ho, ho from in Christmas. Ho there. Flee from the land of the north. And understanding the north, right, was, was the, the nation of Israel that broke away from Judah. That broke away from where the temple worship was. We broke away from where the presence of God was. Flee from the, the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Ho, Zion! Escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord, and that daughter of Babylon represents the world system. That Babylonian system, that, that secular system that, that puts things in hierarchical fashion, that sets itself up against the kingdom of God. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory, he has sent me against the nation which plunder you. This is meaning that, that the angel of the Lord is saying, God has sent me to come against those nations that have come against the people of God. Those systems that have come against the people of God. Those mindsets, those, 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 those imprisonments that have taken the people away from the nation of God. He has set me against the nations which plunder you. For he, and listen to this, friends, he who touches you, the people of God, the children of God, he who touches you, touches the apple of his eye. 
Can you consider that, friends? The nation, the kingdom established by our Heavenly Father was for the benefit of the apple of his eye, which is his people. And God wanted to establish a nation that would be never ending, where the seated king would bring glory to him, where the seated king would do nothing but bring honor to his name, who would do nothing but bring the glory and the presence of the Father here on the earth, manifested amongst the people of God. Hear me, friends, can only and would only be satisfied by one entity in the universe, and his name was Jesus. King after king tried. Physical king after physical king tried. Nation after nation that actually sacked the nation of Israel would try. But none could bring the glory, the eternal glory that our Heavenly Father wanted to establish. And that would be for eternity. Verse 9, for behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell. Listen to this. I will dwell in your midst. Emmanuel, God with us, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to you. Listen, many nations will join themselves to you. The, join themselves, sorry, to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah and his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Isn't that a beautiful prophetic picture of the coming kingdom that Zechariah was prophesying that would be established? Hear me, friends. By Jesus, the son of the living God. Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls. I will be the glory in their midst. Flee from the north. Escape your chains. I will stand against the world that oppresses you. He who touches you touches the apple of God's eye. Sing for joy and be glad. Look at your neighbor and say, be glad. Listen to this. I am coming and I will be in your midst. Emmanuel, God with us. He will receive. And the eventual understanding of the coming of Christ. Last scripture this morning, Luke chapter 4. New Testament. Jesus had already begun his ministry begin to meet in the synagogues, begin to teach people. And he does this amazing thing. And I, I, we've gone through this verse before. So if it's repetitive, just, just hear it again. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And this is Jesus. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives. And recover of sight to the blind. To set set free those who are oppressed. 
to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say that to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying, today, I am the embodiment of the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming king. The birth of Christ, the, the proclamation of the birth of Christ, we have to understand, was the greatest thing that the nation of Israel was looking for. And hear me now, and even many Jews today are still waiting for because when Jesus revealed himself, they couldn't, they couldn't come to grips with the fact that he didn't come in the conquering might of an army. Because God did not come to establish his reign here on earth. He, come, he came to establish his reign, listen to me friends, in the hearts of the children of God. On the hearts of creation. Every man, woman, and child who would receive Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead. Is that where Christ is ruling today for you? The coming or the pronouncing, the, the announcing of the coming king was far more than even a baby in a manger. Jesus wanted to establish his rule in your hearts. If you guys wouldn't mind closing your eyes this morning. I know there's been many things that have set themselves up against us as people. And there may be things that have set itself up against you. Systems, governments, upbringings, generational curses that have set themselves up against you. And this is what God says. I will stand against those things which stand against you because you are the apple of my eye. And I don't know if you feel like that this morning, but I'm not trying to make this an emotional thing, but I want you to have a revelation that the king of heaven sees you and you are the apple of his eye. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the son of God the son of the living God, the most high God, came in the form of a baby so that for 33 years he would wait until the ordained time to be crucified on the cross. And while he was crucified on the cross, the joy that was set before him was you. You. You are the apple of his eye. You were the one that he considered when he died on the cross. You were the reason that God sent his only son. And now Jesus is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, waiting for that coming day for him to come again. And I'm telling you, saints, it's going to be a glorious day. I pray each of you have a revelation of that this morning. 
I pray that this Christmas season isn't just about eggnog and presents and you going into a whole bunch of debt. I pray that it's a time that you're allowing, once again, the kingdom of God to be established on your heart. Glory to the newborn king, King Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, all honor and glory and praise be to your name. We glorify you, Jesus. Thank you for humbling yourself to the place of a servant. To giving up the azure halls of heaven. To come to a lowly manger stall. Thank you for the life of obedience that you lived. Thank you for the life of sacrifice that you lived. Today we choose, not in the future, not even on that great and terrible day. Today we choose to declare you King of kings and Lord of lords. Be worshipped and be magnified in the hearts of every person in this place. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love for you to enter into one. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And from that entry point, your relationship with Jesus starts. It starts. It doesn't finish. It starts. It's just the beginning. If you've never done that and you would like to do that this morning, I would love to pray with you. Everyone's eyes are closed. If there's anyone like that to hear this morning, just raise your hands. I would love to pray with you this morning. Is there anyone this morning who would like to say that prayer? Okay. Well, then let the rule and reign of King Jesus continue to reign over our hearts. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise this morning. Awesome.